Welcome to The Great Indoors. And today, once again, we're still in Barcelona, Spain. Hola, amigos. Yes, this is MWC 2023, and what a week we are having. There are, well, nearly 100,000 people from across the industry and the world here to take part in, without any doubt, the biggest telecoms and technology show on the planet. It's been quite a journey for us. It feels incredible to have crossed the Atlantic as the GSMA's official podcast sponsor for this unique show. And we are spending the whole week in an amazing recording facility on the jaw-dropping Amdox booth, recording some fascinating conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'll be joined by customers, analysts, partners, and Amdox executives as we explore their stories and perspectives in podcast form for prosperity. As ever, I'm joined by my trusty co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee, as these special edition MWC 2023 episodes continue to roll out every Thursday. So what do we have in store for you today, episode six? Well, there's no question. This year's biggest talking point at the show is AI. And the profound effect that generative artificial intelligence that's fueled by the ever-growing and complex data sets we produce is going to have on our lives and on the telecoms industry. To discuss this and many other topics, I am joined by two hugely influential and fascinating guests from different parts of the technology world. First, I will be joined by Kevin Schatzkammer, the Digital Transformation Officer at Google Cloud. Now, I have to say this is one of the most interesting conversations that I had the entire week. And Kevin's perspective on the future of telecoms, AI, and what the pandemic has shaped is truly captivating. Then to bring it home, I'm joined by T-Mobile's VP of Application Development and Operations, Meg Noth. Now, I've spoken with Meg many times on stage, actually, in Copenhagen last fall as well. And she also did an incredible keynote on the broadcast stage with Amdox's Anthony Gutenlecki uh, this week. Check it out. It's on our webpage. But Meg uh, is great, a great conversationalist and is passionate about putting the customer first, the customer experience. She's a key driver in T-Mobile's uncarrier revolution. And just for her, I am wearing a magenta tie. Though you won't be able to witness this on audio, more's the pity. So without further ado, let's get started. Okay, here we are back at MWC 2023 um, here in Barcelona. It's been a great week and I'm really proud and honored to uh, introduce my next guest, Mr. Kevin Schatzkammer, Digital Transformation Officer at Google. Welcome to The Great Indoors, Kevin. Thank you very much. It's been a long week, not just a great week. <laughs> it's certainly been a long week. <laughs> so how's it going? It's good. Yeah, it's good. I think um, it, it's been a very interesting week. MWC is back. Yeah, we've had three years of lull, kind of ramping back up last year, but this year it's back. Yeah, uh, I think it's had a good size. I think the conversations have been great. I wish the conversations weren't quite the same as we had three years ago. Yeah, and we saw more progress. Yeah, but I think COVID has been um, 
an interesting several years for the telecom industry. Things just have generally. changed. Yeah, things have changed. So for our listeners, Kevin, give us a, a history of yourself and your role at uh, GCP. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. I'm, I'm almost three years at Google Cloud. I joined originally as digital transformation officer for the telecommunications industry. I've taken on a couple of other roles since then in addition. So I lead our telecom, media, and entertainment centers of excellence, so kind of tip of spear, first off implementation, new product introduction, new use case introduction across telecom networks, OSS, BSS systems, network edge, AI-based use cases, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and then I also run our conversational AI center of excellence, which is not telco specific, but originated through work we do with our call center AI technology and was originally targeted for broad call center use cases. Uh, and it kind of took root initially in telecom for the last several years because they're some of the worst places on the planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as we said at the beginning there, it's back, it's different. What's your takeaway so far from the show? Yeah, I think maybe a few things. First off, the conversations have not progressed as meaningfully as I thought they would have over the last three years. And I think there's probably a couple of reasons for that. Top of mind for me is that telecom didn't have the opportunity to transform like other industries did during COVID. Right. And if we kind of think about what happened during COVID, healthcare systems had to transform themselves. Telehealth had to happen. There was no other choice. We saw the same happen with financial services and mobile banking. Yeah you know, living outside the branch. But for telecom, I think the work from home phenomenon kind of led to an all out build mentality, right? right? Not transform, how do I keep on building? How do I add the capacity that needs to be there? And, and telecom is a net beneficiary largely of, of what happened during COVID. Yeah. And now that things have slowed down again to a pace where people are back in the office, people are traveling again, et cetera, et cetera. I think what we're seeing is that telecoms can finally take that breath and say, now, instead of just thinking about how do I build and put all effort toward brute force approach to growth, how do I rethink everything? How do I think through my own transformation? How do I think about AI and automation and the cloud native networks and evolution of OSS and BSS systems and all those things that were just starting to happen before COVID and then had to take a pause? So that's right. broadly number one. We're still somewhat in the same conversations as three years ago, yeah. which is great because COVID is a blind spot for everyone. We're all kind of asleep for two years and we can wake up and have the same conversations. Yeah. So you say it's, it's stalled, the transformation, if you will, of the telecoms industry. What would you, without COVID, have anticipated? What would you have expected? What would have been, we're talking now, imagine there yep. was no COVID. What would you have liked to have seen? Yeah, maybe ORAN would not be a conversation about technical readiness anymore. Maybe it's a conversation about operational readiness, right? Maybe cloud native networks are not a conversation about if, but when and how. I think we still live too much in the what right now and not in the how and what's next. And maybe we would have been a little bit further along in some of that. Uh, I think AI technology Maybe it would have happened faster. I think there were some catalysts in the last 90 days that really mm -hmm. moved the industry forward very, very quickly, right? Especially in the conversational AI space. I think autonomous systems and uh, autonomous operations probably could have happened a little bit faster, right? But I think the challenge was uh, to do that, you have to slow down, you have to understand your data, you have to contextualize and label your data, you then need to build 
algorithms, train those algorithms, optimize those algorithms, and there just wasn't time or people. So what would you expect the AI, the data-driven automation, what would you expect that to give? I mean, it's stalled, like you said, but maybe in five years' time. What would you like to see a, a, a telecom, a service provider, be able to enable through those technologies? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to touch a little bit, actually, on, on the conversation that it stalled. I think there was actually benefit of the stall as well. Okay. Because if, if I think in 2020-ish, right, we, we were all as an industry talking about a lack of sufficiency of scale of machine learning expertise within the industry and AI expertise in the industry. And even looking at what was coming through university, there just wasn't sufficient capacity to be able to grow AI expertise in telecom. And then any of those who were graduating, right, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, yeah. were, all, were all hiring. Uh, and I think what happened in the last two years, because cloud did continue to grow and continue yeah. to invest, is that the need for machine learning expertise, as much as we thought every telecom division would need it, maybe they don't anymore. And if we kind of think about it through the infrastructure lens first, right, we talked about NFE for a long time, we talked about VMs and software-defined networks, and then we moved on to this conversation about containers and virtual networking, yeah. and now we're talking about cloud, and what happened with cloud is we started to live in this new serverless world where infrastructure is nothing more than an API. I think the same's actually happening in AI right now. Right. Right. Whether it be advanced modeling capabilities like TensorFlow, whether it be actual use case-based implementations becoming available via APIs, things like documentation or machine vision or, or natural language processing, conversational AI, large language models, all of that has become an API. Yeah. And the implications of that are maybe I actually don't need machine learning expertise inside of every telecom I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's been, I think the industry is, is caught up behind telecom in a way that enables them to think about a different way forward. So if I, if I think about five years from now, right, it's not a very large contingency of machine learning expertise in telecom. It's a whole bunch of people who can contextualize data and then develop around APIs. So I, th I think the industry is moving more and more towards this combination of software engineering, plus prompt engineering much more so than machine learning, AI expertise, and, yeah. uh, and network operations. But what, you, what you're essentially saying is the telecom industry, i.e. the service providers, they're going to rely on somebody else to do this for them. They're not pushing it, right? They're going to rely on their vendors, their infrastructure partners to bring that to them. They're yeah. not pushing yeah. that element. I don't. I think they'll push very, very selectively where they have outsized return on their investments, yeah. but they'll rely on partners a lot more. Uh, and I think if we had thought about this transformation two years ago, it probably wouldn't look like what it will look like going forward. Yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting perspective. Now, one thing that has progressed, particularly in the United States, is the rollout of 5G. So the race to 5G kicked off T-Mobile and then Verizon and AT&T with their C-band spectrum and we've seen this fixed wireless access explosion, right, as people connect. And this has long been predicted, prophesied and speculated on as ushering in 
the next industrial revolution and not just 5G, all those technologies that coalesce around 5G. What are your thoughts on, on that, this next wave as far as what 5G and all those things enable? Yeah, I, I think it's been spotty success, right? I think we spent so much time thinking about 5G from a monetization lens and not just a technology lens. We talked about how it's going to usher in all of these new monetization models. The enterprise is going to come to the table. You yeah. mentioned fixed wireless, private networks, all these use cases. I think it's still early, right? right? And I think there was a very, very big race to see it in the first half of 5G because 4G didn't, it didn't happen in 4G, right? And there was a net loss from an industry perspective on their 4G investments. And, you know, they looked at 5G as the opportunity to catch up on a decade worth of losses. Right. I think 5G, it's still too early to say whether these new business models will materialize. Uh, I think the flashy use cases that we talk about of autonomous vehicles and connected vehicles and remote yeah. surgery and an autonomous ambulance as drives around the city communicating with other vehicles, right? I think those are not a 5G reality. And I think they're not a 5G reality because I don't know that we're gonna see the ubiquity of 5G that we saw with 4G, right? From I a coverage perspective. From both coverage and capacity, right? Ah, so, you know, to, to, to realize these use cases, you need to see consistency of coverage, consistency of capacity, consistency of experience, latency needs to be similar across all areas. And I'm just not convinced we really see it scale beyond major NFL cities in the US. Interesting point. Even though it's the service providers in the US are, you know, waxing lyrical about their rollout and, and where they've gone and what the mid-band, the C-band spectrum gave Verizon and AT&T, you, you think it's inconsistent? The I I, I think it's inconsistent, right? And I, and I also think the service experience and the things that I can do on 5G versus 4G are still question mark for me, right? right? The number one use case for me to demonstrate the capability of 5G is to open up a speed test, right? Great, I get great speed that, tests, but the, you know what? I can use Netflix on LTE. Somebody said that's the killer app for 5G, right? Speed test. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, do you think it will materialize? Do you think we'll see this promised land with all those, like you said, fancy use cases actually coming to fruition? Or do you think it will be something else? Uh, I, I think we'll see a number of them come to fruition. I think we'll see private networks certainly come to fruition. I think there's a number of use cases in manufacturing where it makes sense. I think we'll see selective use cases around edge computing that do take root, right? I think we'll start to see edge computing maybe maybe be rethought as kind of the decentralization of public cloud more and more. Yeah. But yeah, I think we'll see some of those use cases, but I think we have to get through, I would say the first half of 5G over the next, call it 18 months, right? I think 5G yeah. SA has to happen to be the enabler. Carrier aggregation has to happen to be the enabler. Network APIs have to happen to be the enabler. And then we need to present those ways and uh, those APIs in a way that's consumable by third parties. Um, uh, and whether that's through OSS systems or API gateways or other abstraction layers, we really have to think about yeah. how we give developers and enterprises an experience to develop against. Let them. Let them figure it out. Yeah. Right. And, and I think we're really good as an industry trying to get 
X number of carriers, call it somewhere between 18 and 50 to all align on a single standard and present a single API northbound, Yeah. right? I don't know how many different organizations are trying to solve this, but the reality is, is if you give a developer an API and you publish it, it doesn't matter if it's consistent. So on that note, what's your, one of the things I've picked up over the last six months is there's a, a hunger for more collaboration. There's a hunger for more ecosystem, you know, a bigger ecosystem within the industry. And you look at the amount of companies that have signed up for metaverse standards, it dwarfs 3GPP right now. What is your feeling about the level of collaboration and ecosystem to enable some of the things that you've talked about? Um, is it heightened or I is it? I think it's heightened. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a pendulum. We'll, we'll find ourselves swinging back a little bit towards a little bit of consolidation. Uh, I think we saw it in, in proliferation in telco as well with the number of standards organizations and events and various other open source communities. And we started to see that pendulum swing back a little bit into a few that matter the most. No. Um, and I think Excitement is good, the art of the possible, and bringing together like-minded people who can explore those arts of the possible is fantastic. Uh, but eventually, all that art of the possible will need to be put into practice, and we'll need to find real use cases that are revenue generating. Yeah. And I think we'll get to the art of the practical rather soon. And there's, a, you know, like you said, the practical versus, the practical and the reality versus some of the hype that's going around. If we turn the clock back 12 months, metaverse was just, everywhere as a, as a term that's yeah, still being defined, right? And now I would say it's fair to say this week, generative AI is obviously a huge topic. What are your thoughts of, those, of the hype that goes into those things versus, like you said, the practical and reality right now? Uh, I, I think generative, first off, generative AI is real. Yeah. Right? Uh, I don't think it's... Uh, there's no hype, it's here. There, there's no hype, it's here. I think there's a whole bunch of guardrails that still need to be put around generative AI to make sure that it's, uh, it's used for human good and sustainability and productive activities rather than just uh, flashy conversation. I think we've been, we've been experimenting and doing things in generative AI for a long time as Google, so there's well, a number Google, of- Google has led AI, sure. it's fair to say, yeah. For sure, I mean, there's been a number of, uh, of research topics that have been released, everything from generative AI for, for static images to generative AI text-based implementation that can be used to generate 4K video. We released recently BARD uh, several yeah. weeks ago for conversational AI. Uh, we just did text-to-music uh, as a research experiment. We have AlphaFold, we've done AlphaGo for uh, for gaming, so there's yeah. a number of examples where it's been put to use, and a lot of that has been, you know, research. Let's yeah. see what the art of the possible yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. And now we're starting, you know, and then we have examples where, where it's practical and we're implementing, implementing capabilities like natural language processing at scale today, right? Yeah. I mentioned the, uh, the conversational AI work that my team does in contact centers for telcos in terms of building out virtual agents or building out auto FAQ generation, auto transcripting of conversations, summarization of past conversations so agents know what's taken place in the past, IVR replacement for the front end natural language processing yeah. engine. All of that stuff is real and it's is in happening. production. Yeah, and where do you think it will be two years from now? Uh, Particularly in telco. Uh, I, I think 
There's a couple of really interesting use cases that we see arising. I think the initial implement implementations that we're going to see in telco are going to be internal operational focus. Right. Partially because I think there's hesitation in terms of the readiness of turning this loose into consumer and enterprise just yet, right, and turning it external. There's a number of really interesting use cases to be able to ingest documentation, ingest best practices and historical um, deployment scenarios for installers as an example, and how do I put a front end on that using large language models for an installer and infobot capability where I can take those infobots and query and understand has anyone experienced this before? How's it been solved? Yeah. And, and get results from that, from ingesting you know, local corpus of data. Yeah. Uh, I think we're gonna see the rise of transactional bots even more so. And for us, if we kind of think about what we do in the contact center space, today our bot building is people, right? It's training a model, it's optimizing a model and tuning a model. And I think over time, we're gonna be able to express the model development with natural language, which will be really useful. You mentioned there the hesitation to cut it loose outside of a service provider. What was, what's I, that based on, do you think? Yeah, I, I think there's still some, there's not enough guardrails around it from an ethical perspective just yet. Right. Right, and I think thinking through the implications of turning these loose to very, very large um, populations of people, we're seeing some of it in the public environment today. And, and I think it's, it's important for us to continue to explore and research what those ethical guardrails should look like, and then figure out how you implement those guardrails from a software development perspective. And what, do you th what are the moral, ethical dilemmas we face with it, you think? What are the problems that could arise? And, and by the way, the reason I asked that is we never foresaw or discussed any negative externalities with social media back in 2007. We just heralded it as just a wonderful innovation that would connect people, etc. And then, you know, whichever way you look at it, it caused havoc in, in many countries across the world and created all, all manner of problems in, in a number of different spheres. We're cognizant now, the very fact that, of what we're discussing, that there's potential negative connotations with generative AI. Yep. So that's positive that we know there could be problems because we never foresaw this going way back. But what do you think some of those problems could be? And do you think it's good that we're thinking about them now? Uh, so it's certainly good that we're thinking about them now. I know you said that we're cognizant of the problems that social media has caused. I would argue we're more aware of them, but maybe not fully aware just yet, right? There's you think still, there's more? I'm sure there's more, right? And we'll, we'll experience, we'll, we'll, we'll learn more over time and can, and, Look, there's entire research fields that are focused on this right now from a social media perspective, right? Not just in, in terms of technology research. Uh, in legislation. And legislation yeah, yeah, yeah. across the board. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I think with, with generative AI, right, the, the challenge that you encounter is that it's learning, right? And people are teaching it. And if you have bad actors teaching it, the behavior that results from these systems is, it follows, follows natural people behavior. So you think if it got into the hands of nefarious individuals that wish to cause harm, then it can cause a lot of harm. It could be weaponized, if you will. Yeah. Maybe. Because I, I, social I, media was weaponized. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I say maybe because I haven't put sufficient thought around answering that question. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you think about with your, you know, when you're in the pub, thinking about it, hold on a minute, but it's not, like you said, 
For, for sure. I yeah. mean, you, you sit in social groups and you can, you can talk about the what ifs. Yeah, yeah. Right. And just like the, you know, large groups of people pondering what ifs, yeah, the what yeah. ifs can yeah. range towards doom and gloom very quickly. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that we're even considering the what ifs is probably a positive from 15 sure. years ago. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And I think, I think a lot of times what you see from, from Google is that we, we, we share our research we share research papers, but we're very cognizant about when we release things into the community more than just the research behind it. So we talked about generative AI, it's real, it's here. We're aware of what it can do, what it's doing right now, and the potential downsides. If we go back to that other term, metaverse, what's your thoughts on that? What's, you know, what do you think? Because I've, I've, I've encountered a multitude of different perspectives on this, uh, maybe the last six or seven months. What's your personal perspective on yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, for me, it follows a conversation of Internet of Things. Right. Right, I think Internet of Things was originally this concept of things and devices and sensors and people and software and processes all being interconnected and what it turned into was a whole bunch of little intranets of things right a number of sensors yeah, connected yeah. for a specific purpose yeah, to accomplish yeah. a specific yeah. thing i think maybe the metaverse which is envisioned to be this overlay over over the physical world right will also follow a similar paradigm it will be highly selective we'll see it for very specific use cases right uh, we'll see it implemented into our daily lives in interesting ways but it's not a replacement for the physical world it's not a digital twin of the digital world i don't think you live in both worlds i think you interact with the metaverse when you need to that's interesting that's interesting do you think 5g will help propagate metaverse adoption in, in either the enclosed or broader format? I mean, sure. It's an access technology, yeah. right? It's a low latency access technology and I can connect to low latency to access technology is great. Um, but Wi-Fi is there and LTE is there and I think all of these technologies will play a role in the enablement, but yeah. I don't think there's an either or to say that 5G is the catalyst that will create the metaverse, or the metaverse is the killer app that will that will create the monetization model for 5G. Yeah. Right? It's going to be a proliferation of lots of little things that all come together, and to quantify the value of any one technology that comes together yeah. to create that metaverse is going to be hard. Okay. And what's Google's vision for the telecom space in the next 10 years, broadly? Yeah, so, so I'll touch on it from a, a cloud perspective, right? So, so within Google Cloud, our, our focus is first and foremost, getting operations transformed, focused on taking the concepts and capabilities that we've thought through for operating the world's largest global network, operating our cloud platform, and applying that mindset and methodology towards how you build and operate telecom networks, right? So that's everything from RAN through core, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think we're very focused sitting on top of that in terms of how do we, how do we actually converge lots of data sets, right? So it could be subscriber data sets, it could be network data sets, it could be public data sets and put them together yeah. to really understand customer experience in more meaningful ways. I don't think we've done a historically good job of that. 
I think it reflects in the historical NPS of the telecom industry, right? Which is amongst the lowest of any industry. So you think you think basically that cross-pollination of data sets is great. You think telecoms is a laggard, basically, in, in being able to really get the benefits from that? Uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. I, think they're, I think they're a laggard in that. I think we've intuitively believed that network data can be valuable for both understanding customer experience, but also new revenue models for customers, upsell, cross-sell, but we've never actually put it into practice. Right. Uh, and I think we're just at the forefront of seeing use cases that put that into practice. It's interesting, though. Because when we talked about the hype terms of, you know, conversational AI and, and metaverse, if you turn the clock back eight years, big data and analytics was was right at the top of the hype cycle, right, yeah. of everything. And this is what we're still talking about it right right now. And it's still, from a telecoms perspective, less developed. Yeah, it, it is. And I think there's there's a number of reasons for that, right? I think there's been this there's been this view that big data, when you drop it into a data lake, all of a sudden becomes valuable. Uh, and it turns out that if, if your data is not clean, it's not contextualized, it's not labeled, it's not organized, and it's not structured, it's really hard to do useful things with it. Yeah. And, there, and there was that dream that unstructured data in a data lake, but it just became a soup, a quagmire, right? It, no, for sure. A swamp, right? For sure. Clean, well-labeled data is still foundational to doing smart things with yeah. it. Uh, and and even, even right now, we talk quite a bit about auto-labeling technologies, and, and we're still really early in that, right? You know, the, the dirty little secret of, of AI is that, yes, we can get to artificial intelligence, we can automate things, as long as your data is well-labeled and structured, which is still manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so there's, there's still a big people component of this to get right and get the data into a place where we, we, we can kind of create that virtuous cycle with the data and make it usable for operations, make it usable for new service revenue generation, yeah. make it usable for customer experience. Uh, and, and right now I think you know, just about everyone we speak to and everyone we're working with is really focused on getting that data to a place where it's organized and structured and then we can do smart things with it. Cool, cool. So, Kevin, we're, we're approaching the end. I've really enjoyed our discussion. It's really, really interesting, fascinating. Great. If we were back here in five years' time, what would you expect to see at the show? First, <laughs> I, I would love to be able to walk to the show with my phone and open up my digital app and open up my smartphone pass to get into the show and actually have it come up because the 5G network allows me to and the 100,000 people yeah. who have flooded in haven't killed the network. <laughs> That, that, that's a big. That's a big improvement. That, right? that would be a great improvement, yeah. right? I was I was super excited about not having a physical pass to get in here yeah. until I tried to use <laughs> the mobile pass, <laughs> uh, and, and I see that yeah. see the spinning disc. Do you think we'll have more taxis if they're autonomous? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we'll see more convergence of device to service through network. Right. right. We, we, I mean, we, we talk, we, we use the term network slicing today, right? And maybe that's the end term we use. Maybe we use something else. I don't think enterprise or developers care what a network slice is. An enterprise or a developer is looking for a specific experience. And I think we'll see those experiences really moving out of, uh, again, art of possible to uh, art of reality. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's wishful thinking. 
maybe we'll be there. Yeah. Six G's here. This is at the show in pockets. We're it's talking about early. it. Is it too early? It's too early. Surely. Yeah, I just, you know, 4G was, was all about mobile data and video and 5G is, uh, has been called the enterprise and monetization. I think 6G is being called AI native, whatever that happens to mean. I hadn't heard that before. Oh. I've heard, but I've heard so many definitions and interpretations of what 6G is. And I, I, there's, there's no consistency, right? It's whoever's early. Yeah, it's too early. It, it's yeah. early, but five years from now, it's not so early, right? And I, I think yeah. we'll be talking about 6G as a catalyst to the, what we're seeing materialize in the second half of, of 5G. Yeah. Uh, and I'm super excited once we get 5G SA and both on the device side and the network side in place yeah. and have carrier aggregation and have that much higher bandwidth in both directions and lower latency in both directions and putting more power into the hands of people. And then hopefully with the API development, putting more power into the hands of developers, right? It's, it's less about how the telecom is the center of, of an ecosystem and more about how a telecom is an enabler of the yeah. ecosystem. So. Yeah. That's cool. That's good food for thought. Right, Kevin, we're almost at the end, right? But I've got some questions for you. It's oh called boy. our TGI to go quick fire round. All right, I'm right. ready. And these are just hypothetical questions uh, with multiple choice, just give me your preference. Yes. You ready? Okay, here we go. T TGI to go. TGI to go. First question. We're in Barcelona. You've got a day off tomorrow. I don't know, I don't know when you're flying, but imagine you had a day off tomorrow. Do you go to the Picasso Museum or the Gaudi Park? I go to the Gaudi Park. By the way, I went to the Sagrada Familia on Sunday. Yeah. And I, I've been coming to Mobile World Congress for 20 years, both in Cannes as well as here. Yeah, yeah. It's the first time I realized there's more to Barcelona than the Fira in my <laughs> hotel room. Uh, and, and it was great, right? I was able yeah. to have a selection sitting right next to Sagrada Familia of KFC or Taco Bell or Five Guys or McDonald's <laughs> or Burger King. So I felt right back at home. <laughs> We're going out for some drinks later. You're going to have a shot of tequila or a whiskey? C. A shot of Fernet Branca. Oh, okay. As speaking from experience last night. Uh. <laughs> American football or soccer? American football. Yeah. But college football. Oh, really? And who's your team? University of Florida. All oh, right. That's why is. Uh, you were at University of Florida? Or? Yeah, that's where I did my, uh, my undergrad. All oh, right, okay, cool, cool. Brazil or Argentina? In what context? Travel, a vacation. Oof, I have people who work for me that, uh, that live in both places, so I'm gonna, gonna make someone unhappy. I'm gonna go with Argentina. For what reason? The food, the climate? It's new, okay. I've done Brazil. And they're the world champions, it's to my previous question on soccer. Indeed they are. Yeah. You could go out for dinner tonight and you could have dinner with Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Who would you sit down and have dinner with? Mark Zuckerberg. I have too many Twitter questions that I just don't want to ask. <laughs> you're only the, you're the second person this week that said Mark Zuckerberg. It's really, really interesting. Out of how many? Out of 20. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his, uh, his sister was on the show back uh, a year ago. 
Did she say Elon Musk? She said Elon Musk straight off, super quick, <laughs> without hesitation. Brilliant. Listen, Kevin, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been a lot of fun. It's been insightful. We've taken a look right into the future, uh, but to get your perspective has been incredibly valuable. So I really appreciate you coming on The Great Indoors today. Yeah, it's a great time. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Take care. So here we are again at MWC 2023 in Barcelona. Really proud, excited to welcome our next guest on the show, all the way from Kansas City, Meg Noth, the VP of Customer Billing Platforms and Future State Engineering at T-Mobile. Welcome to The Great Indoors, Meg. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, excellent. Now, we've, we've spoken before. We've known each other for a while, so I think this is going to be a nice conversation. Um, but tell us how your week's been so far. What have you seen, heard? What's wowed you? The booths here at MWC are out of this world. Yeah. I am so blown away. Like, they're, they're almost many cities. Many of them have anywhere from nine to 50 live demos going on at the same time. So much innovation is being showcased here, sometimes for the first time. It's really neat that each of the countries are actually sponsoring their own booths and highlighting um, the innovative startups in their regions. Yeah. And it's a great way to um, bring that entrepreneurial spirit to MWC in a way that many of those independent startups probably couldn't do on their own. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's a melting pot of new ideas, new perspectives, uh, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Now, normally when this show, when I've been to this show before and I leave, I come away with one thing that sticks with me prominently afterwards. So have you, have, is there something so far that you'll remember for MWC 2023 for years to come? Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget this one. Seeing the technology that enables people to take pictures of either living or actually past people, pair it with their voice and then use it. And you can't tell the difference between whether it's the real person or not. Yeah, yeah. And it's being used um, in some cases to kind of bring ancestors back to life. That's a cool use case of it. Yeah. But I gotta admit, my, um, my head goes toward criminology and what people could do with other people's identities. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see how that technology comes to fruition, both in, in good and bad ways. Oh, wow. No, that's really cool. And it's, it's that combination of, isn't deep fake and AI yeah. and all of that. And I think that, that AI piece is something that I keep, you know, just hearing and seeing in everything. It's pretty incredible. So for our listeners, Meg, give us a bit of a background of yourself and your role at T-Mobile. Sure. So I joined T-Mobile through the merger with Sprint. Um, and I'm proud to say that I was legacy Sprint. And all together, I have 26 years in telecommunications. The journey with T-Mobile has probably been the most exciting part of that 26 years in that not only been encouraged, but T-Mobile's embraced some really innovative solutions that we've brought forward. The first one being cross-provisioning, where we took advantage of the fact that we could provision the, the new T-Mobile network 
for all the legacy Sprint subs before they even moved IT platforms. Yeah. We accelerated synergy savings in the billions. We followed that up with streaming conversion where we revolutionized how M&A has done, basically. Uh, historically, people do big batch conversions of data, lock customers out, sometimes take, take them out of service. It's very disruptive and very costly. And we used event messaging to move customers behind the scenes. You yeah. can do up to 60,000 accounts an hour. And it's helped us to uh, be ahead of schedule, under budget, but most importantly, have zero impact on churn, zero impact on calls to care, and delighted customers. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all about the customer experience. And it is an amazing story, the merger with Sprint. And it's just an amazing story to where T-Mobile is right now. I mean, they are the number one carrier on the planet, I think, from a number of aspects. And it's fostered this uniqueness that this culture or what you're known for as the uncarrier. So tell us a little bit about what it means to be the uncarrier, Mike. To me, what uncarrier means is that we love our customers and we want absolutely every one of our customers to feel like a rock star. We want yeah. them to feel like they are the most important person in the world to us. And that means that we need to contextualize all the experiences we have with them so that we're meeting them where they are predictively, we're predicting where they are and we're proactively meeting them there. Um, and as much as possible, fixing it before they even know they have a problem. Yeah. And it's working, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really incredible. Really incredible. So you've also done a keynote today, right? With yes. our, uh, one of our uh, chief technology uh, officers, Anthony Guttenlucky. How was that as an experience and what did you discuss? Well, first of all, we got to father, follow one of the fathers of Telcom onto the stage. Uh, yeah, 93 years that? old and, and here at Mobile World to accept an award for lifetime achievement. Oh, Martin um, Cooper from yes. Motorola. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, or Marty as he was going by on the stage today. Um, so it was absolutely amazing to follow a, a gentleman like that who's paved the way for all of us and then get to go speak after him. So. Wow. I used to work for Motorola, you see, back oh. in the day. Yes. Okay. And Martin Cooper is very much the, the bell, if you will, of the mobile industry. So that was really incredible. But how did it go with Anthony then? It was good? Good fun? It was fabulous, except he forgot his magenta. So no way. I know. How dare he, right? I, yeah. I noticed you showed up in a magenta tie, so kudos to you. Well. Um, but we don't have him as well trained, so I actually had to um, loan him my scarf. Oh, really? I did. Did he wear it? Um, I didn't really give him a choice. I put it on him, <laughs> and he kept it, so... <laughs> and then he threatened to steal it, and I'm, I'm not parting with my scarf. Okay. Well, and then just for our listeners, a bit of back history. Meg and I were on stage together at DTW in Copenhagen back in September or October 22. But I, I just felt I had to embrace the whole feeling of magenta and wear my magenta tie, and I, I've got it back on now for this discussion. So, uh, so that was cool. So what's next for you in your role right now, Mike? What are the big challenges that lie ahead in the next 12 months and, and moving forward? Our biggest challenge is finishing our digital transformation. So wow. um, capitalizing on what we did with streaming conversion 
and putting the customer in the center of all the experiences. We're starting with the most important experiences to customers, but we're reimagining each and every experience from the customer's point of view, doing research, doing analysis, studying customers, yeah. testing things out with them, and then delivering all the underlying capabilities in a fully end-to-end -end automated way um, to absolutely wow our customers. Our goal is to be so incredibly easy to do business with that they wouldn't dream of using anyone else yeah. and that they're telling all their friends and family just how easy it is to be a T-Mobile customer, to upgrade your device, um, to add services, add a family member, add a friend, do business with us from a B2B perspective. We want every single customer, no matter you know how they would be typically classified as business or individual, to have a full digital relationship with us and to empower them to self-serve wherever they are and however they want to do it. And what is it, you know, being in T-Mobile and, and being part of the merger from Sprint, what's special about T-Mobile internally? What do you feel now with T-Mobile uh, with that gives it that edge? The brand is amazing. It, it kind of warms your heart to think about being a part of a company that cares so much about their customers and so much about their employees and just brings this level of excitement to everything we do and innovates. Innovates all day, every day, and there's almost a little internal competition on who can push the envelope just a little bit farther um, right. and, and constantly stretching to see what the next frontier is and how we can add more value to customers' lives. That's amazing, that's amazing. Now I'm gonna go off topic a little bit. I'd, I'd like okay. to ask you, how did you feel about the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only time of year it's tough for me to wear magenta is when the Chiefs are playing and it was a fabulous win. Yeah. We, we weren't expected to, every single player was practically injured and yeah. yet somehow or another they, they came together as a team and drove it home. That was good. I was thinking of yourself in Kansas City. I actually watched the game uh, and I have had some Philadelphia Eagles uh, fans on the podcast uh, this week. This uh, week? This week. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I won't tell you where they were from, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Did you like Kelsey Bowl? Wasn't that fun? W what was that? Kelsey Bowl. So um, this is the first NFL Super Bowl ever where brothers played against each other. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I so, did see about that. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, I didn't realize it was called Kelsey Bowl. I was aware that there was two brothers. Yeah, they have a podcast too. Oh, do they? Yeah, you'll have to check them out. I'll Pretty have funny. to check them out, yeah, and yeah. see what's going on. See what's going on. Now, going back to, to, I guess, not quite such serious matters, more positive matters, there's a lot on at the show around tech for good. Right. And I think since the pandemic, I think all service providers around the world almost have this newfound inherent obligation to help the communities they serve. Can you give me some examples of tech for good at T-Mobile that, that are really prominent? The biggest one is um, our commitment to, to um, children without Internet connectivity. So um, our 10 million project, as it's otherwise known, is our our biggest commitment and we've had it ever uh, even before the merger I think we announced it nine months going into the merger um, that we were going to make the commitment to connect 10 million children yeah. um, to ensure that uh, we reduce the digital divide and that no child is inhibited in their education for lack of connectivity to the internet it is an amazing initiative 
And we had uh, Dr. Keisha King from T-Mobile on the podcast in Las Vegas. Oh, fabulous. And she talked about the immersive education uh, initiative she's pioneering. So that was a fantastic one. That was a, a really good... And how's it going now, the Project 10 million? Yeah. Extremely well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So if we're back at this show 12 months from now, if we come back, what do you think we'll if see? If we come back? Well, it, may, it won't move. I always think maybe it's outgrown Barcelona. Maybe it could move somewhere else. But Where do you want to go? Las Vegas. Seriously? I love the new convention center. Oh, no. I can never get a taxi. Here? Yeah, I'll have, have to. Have you tried the metro? No, I haven't. I think you no. should. I'll have to edit that out, I think, for, with the official GSMA podcast, and I'm dissing Oops. Barcelona. <laughs> I'm not, I love Barcelona, actually. I love it. But what do you think will be the big talking points 12 months from now? Just a, your predictions, as it were. That's a good question. A lot of the buzz around here is how to monetize 5G. Yeah. Ideally, in 12 months, we've all figured that out, and there are amazing examples of how 5G is being monetized and leveraged and opening the door for 6G. You see a little sprinkling of 6G here to, this year, but I think until everyone's proven out exactly how to monetize 5G, we're not going to see those continued advances in tech. So it's critical that the, hand, the two go hand in hand. But I think, yeah, I think it's a really, really good point because we talked about 5G for years. We've talked about what it can bring. We speculate and dream and prophesize about all these fancy new use cases. But at the end of the day, the real thing that's succeeding in 5G right now, which T-Mobile is right at the front of, is fixed wireless access, right? It's, uh, totally. It's, it's, so, it's, so it's seeing all of those other things that we've dreamed about finally come into, come into play. You know, the funny thing about that is a lot of it ties back to tech for good, even with that play from T-Mobile, and that much of the success of it is driven by our investment in, it was also a merger promise, in investing in rural America and giving rural America choice in internet providers. So yeah. lowering the, the cost and adding competition where there was none before. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really good point. Okay, so we're almost towards the end of our discussion. But before we go, we have a, our quickfire round called TGI to go. Okay. Which is like a fun round that we do just to close out after uh, uh, our conversation. And it helps our listeners understand a little bit more about yourself, Meg. Are you ready okay. for TGI to go? I'm not sure. You have that little... Um, gleam in your eye of when you're being mischievous. So we'll see how this goes. Okay, here we go. TGI to go. TGI to go. Question number one. You've got a day off in Barcelona. Is your preference to go to the Picasso Museum or the Gaudi Park? The park hall. Gaudi Park. Yeah. Are you planning? Have you been there yet, actually? No, but I visited La Familia oh, and yeah. was stunned. I was freezing cold. I was Sunday and just shivering, and yet I couldn't leave. I just wanted to stay there forever because it was so inspiring. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? And it's still under construction. Yeah. I know. With so, no end date. 
Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, we're in Barcelona again, keeping on the Barcelona theme. Okay. And I know there was an Amdocs party last night, which did you enjoy, by the I way? I did. Yeah, did you did have you? fun? I, I didn't stay very long because I was, I had to be. Needed your beauty sleep? I need, well, I was jet lagged. I mean, this is no excuse because you've been through exactly the same week as me. So maybe I was just, just not, not in the, uh, but it was a great party for the time yes. I was there. I was there for a couple of hours anyway, but I know it went on into the early hours of the morning. I wasn't there for that bit. But um, if, if I was to offer you a local beverage, would, it, would you prefer sangria or cava? Sangria. Yeah. Did you, did you have much sangria last night? No. None. No. I don't actually remember seeing any sangria at the, at the thing anyway, actually. Probably was because everything else was there. Um, question number three. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Yeah, I would go with that one as well, actually. Now, this one, uh, we talked about it earlier. American football or football or baseball? Oh, football. Yeah. But it's the, the baseball team in Kansas is the Royals, right? Correct. And do you follow them during the summer? No. No? It's too long of a season for me, and baseball games are too long for me with not enough action. Now, the Royals are amazing. Fabulous stadium, fabulous atmosphere, but it's just not my cup of tea. Okay, right. And the final question our TGI to go today you have to have dinner tonight with somebody yes is it a choice and this is your your choice Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg Elon Musk yeah that's generally and that's a standard question I've asked all the guests they've all gone down Elon. the Elon Musk route are you a fan or you just think personally it would be more interesting to both yeah okay cool I think he's innovated more than almost any other human on earth. So yeah, yeah. really fascinated by the way he thinks. Okay. So thank you very much, Meg. That's thank you. A, a really nice conversation. And what's next for you now? What, what are you doing after the show? Tonight or when I get back? When you get back. Yeah. Um, when I get back, we are going down to our lake house to celebrate with some friends. Oh, nice. Well, have a safe trip back to the United States. Thank you. It was good chatting with you again. Thank you for joining us on, on The Great Indoors. And we'll see you again very soon. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you. What a fantastic episode. Brilliant. Really enjoyed those conversations. And stay tuned. Each episode and the associated guests are certainly not to be missed, but I think, what, we've got four more episodes left in our MWC 2023 series, and they just get better and better. Now, please leave a review on your podcast channel of choice if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. Visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash The Great Indoors, where we have all our back episodes and many other assets related to TGI. In fact, check out our website now. You'll see our new Barcelona highlight reel featuring all our guests uh, and also Meg's MWC broadcast stage appearance uh, that we talked about earlier as well. So there we go for today. I'm going to have another cool glass of Cerveza, chill out, have some tapas and get ready for another day here in Barcelona. And all that's left to say is I'm Matthew Roberts for Amdocs in Barcelona. 
and I'll see you next time, wherever you are.